HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. It's October 23rd, 2012, and we're here at Roberta's in Bushwick in the studios of the Heritage Radio Network. All right, we're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com. Thanks to you guys. You guys uh, distribute beer. You have the Beer Cloud to learn more about where to get beer, and you have the Great Beer Tests, many other things. Check out GreatBrewers.com. It brings the American beer community together. And we're supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, an association of 41 New York City beer bars, goodbeerseal.com. All right. What a day. We're here with yeah. Jen Swartman from Blind Tiger back from the Great American Beer Fest. No, 11 days in Denver. Kurt Potter and Mark Burford from Blue Point Brewing and Brian Ewing from 12% Imports. Welcome, everybody. We raise our glasses. All right. So, Jen, how was the GABF this year? In all honesty, it was better than ever. I mean, I always, I kind of, always say that but it's a little more um objective this time uh because i wasn't the only one saying it uh this whole national trend has forced that festival to turn a really positive corner away from a bunch of you know knucklehead drunkards who just don't care what they're drinking but are there to get wasted i mean it's been one of those those problems with it where a lot of brewers wouldn't even show up on Saturday night because it was such a mess. And they're like, what's the point? I'm tired. People here don't care if I'm here or not. And they just shrugged it off. And this year I went to all four sessions as I usually do. And I was like, this is different. The, uh, I mean, there's still a little knucklehead factor, but the beer geeks have kept them in check. I think that there's so much, so many people traveling now for beer and, uh, you know, in there the first day, cause you got to buy tickets really fast and they buy their tickets and they buy them conscientiously and intend to use them. And so there weren't as many like, you know, ways to get a ticket at the last minute just because you think it's a party. Mark Burford from Bluepoint, would you put him in the knucklehead category? Or what, what's he like at the, at the festival? <laughs> you know what? I just met Mark, which is crazy because I've been selling Bluepoint beer in the city and talking about it for so long, and I was, but I never make it out to Long Island, so I've never seen the pub, and it's nice to meet him after all these years. Certainly a few other categories I can be put in also. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. My you know, opinion on the that, knucklehead factor <laughs> waits to be seen. The last time Mark was on, we, we had some people write in and say, that was the best show you've ever done. And I told all my friends about it. So uh, you got a lot to live up to. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get started. Uh, yeah. Just met uh, the gentleman here from 12%. What's your name again? I'm sorry. Brian. Brian. Sorry about yeah. that. And, no, uh, man. Cool. We were just talking about the, uh, you know, the, the, this part of the business side of trying to deal with all the bureaucracy. And it just uh, reminded me of the story when I was um, 16. So now we're back in the 70s, everybody, 1978. If you remember those good days in New York, uh, your driver's license was just a piece of paper. And so, you know, of course, I was drinking in the bars at 16, and uh, it was always the challenge on the, the ID. And so one day I go down the motor vehicle, and I'm sitting online, and the lady doesn't that, that where they answer your questions, where you want to go. And I realized the person in front of me has lost their license, and the, uh, the, the woman that's helping her pulls out this piece of paper, this magical piece of paper, as I, I find out, called an affidavit. And all he has to do is sign this magical piece of paper, and they're going to give him a new license. So I get on there, and I say the same story, and I get on the line, and I get up to the front, and I sign my older brother's name. And magically, they hand me a driver's license that says I'm 18 years old, I'm six foot four. I got brown eyes. I'm my brother, and off I go. So I got a copy of my brother's license to go to the bars, you know. And so, of course, you got to take it another step when you're old. So I get pulled over by the cops, you know. And there's a couple of cases, empty cans in the car, and some Jack Daniels bottles and stuff. And what do I do? I hand my brother's license. Why would I take that hit on my license, you know? And so it was at that moment. It, it was really when I figured out I was ready to hit, deal with the bureaucracy of the, you know, BATF and the TTB and those kind of folks. Was when I handed that cop my license, and he looked at me, and he looked at that license, and he took it and walked away. And I said, "Yeah." I can do this. I can deal with. The, I can deal with these kind of people. I know how to do this. This is natural, and it was all good. I got a couple of tickets, you know, and that was I threw them away, you know. And at that time, who cared? But of course, that wasn't the end of it, you know. The, my brother certainly didn't show up for those tickets. He didn't know about, and there were bench warrants issued, and you know they came to the house and. He'd be reading the mail and say, man, I must have been drunk. I don't remember getting these tickets. <laughs> and I'm the younger brother going, yeah, man, you, you must have been hammered. That's terrible. You shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> and so he would go and get all these tickets for me and stuff. And, and This is like the, or, the origin of a brewer. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Right. Hey, wait, so this, this beer that our uh, Good Beer Seal blogger, Astrid Cook, was also out of GBF. Really and good. she brought back... So what is this, Jen? It's, it's like the, it's, every year they it, make a different GABF well, no, beer? No, no. That, something, this is special. And um, one thing that they announced when they were giving away the awards at the GABF to all the brewers, that when they won a medal, they would also be handed a bottle of this beer, which has never been done before. But there was a special reason. The Colorado Brewers Guild, a lot of the members, a lot of the brewers in the state got together and they brewed this beer in honor of their very good friend, um, Danny Williams, who passed away within the last year. He was actually the cellarman for the GABF forever. And that, it, it, I mean, I can't remember how many thousands and thousands of beers, like 4,000 beers were judged this year. He sorted all that. So he was like in charge of making sure that all that beer got to the tables correctly so that they could correctly judge. I mean, huge, huge thing. And apparently, I never knew him. I knew who he was, but I never met him. He was a really, really amazing guy. So back at the CBC, a bunch of different breweries got together, and and in the Tiki Pavilion at the CBC, where they had beer on tap for the brewers, they had all these collaborations that people had contributed in honor of him. Mm-hmm. And But this was the contribution. So they had this at the Guild's um, booth at the fest, 
and uh, it was sort of like just around for this whole thing in his honor. It's a it's a beautiful porter. It's a nice Very beer. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Brian, you've been out there too. You've been out to GABF. Uh, actually, I, I've I've not been to G- no. GABF because it it uh, it coincides every year with the festival that I'm always at in, in Europe. So um, a much smaller festival in Europe, but um, you know, being uh, being an importer of small European breweries, I'm sort of feel obliged to be there instead. Well, what's yeah. amazing, when I first met you, when did you start? You have 12% imports. When did you start? Yeah, that? we started the company almost exactly five years ago, actually. Well, five years ago, it seemed like all the beers from Europe you could get. There are, there are a lot of imports, Van Bergen de Wolf, yeah. Shelton Brothers, B United, you know, Merchant sure. de Vin. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how can there be any more breweries in Belgium <laughs> or anywhere else that haven't been imported to the States? Yeah. And you've got some really great great labels. So how do you how do you explain that? Yeah, it's a, good, it's a very good question. I mean, and, and certainly, you know, there was... And still is a, a ton of incredible stuff um, being done, even on, on a very small level. That that was you know in in the market here prior to me getting going. But um, you know the reality of it is, Jimmy, um, when we started off, you know we really started off with with uh, some really tiny breweries. You know breweries that uh, I thought were doing incredible things. But honestly, if you'd go five kilometers outside the radius of where they were. Um, no one had ever heard of them, you know. Uh, and these were guys, for the most part, that had day jobs, but were doing, but had been brewing for years, but but doing it just because, you know, it was a hobby, it was a passion, it was something they were really into, but not necessarily a, a means of, you know, sustenance or whatever. Uh, so that's that's really where we started. Uh, very very small, very you know um, you know uh, niche kind of stuff. Um, and then we started growing from there. And you know what's happening in Europe and in the rest of the world is. Um, to a large extent, it's similar to what's happening in the United States. I mean, look, this year there are going to be what 400 n- new breweries, you know, opening up in the United States. So that's more, more than one a day, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe not quite on that level, but the same thing's happening overseas too. And so, there are so many young, talented brewers that are, you know, have a global perspective. You know, they've got access to all the great things that are happening in America. They've got access to all the stuff that's going on in Europe, and and they're. They're pushing boundaries just like brewers in the United States are pushing boundaries. And so, um, you know, if you look at where where we've gone, where 12% imports has gone over the last couple of years, yes, we still have a couple of these great old Belgian breweries or old Scandinavian breweries that have been doing it for a long time, but that were just very, very small. We've helped to make them bigger. But we've also, you know, been able to, you know, sort of, you know, um, bring in some new things, some brand new things that we think are kind of, you know, the only uh, problem pushing, with it is yeah. you bring in the beers that are the hardest to pronounce. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> we do, we do. I mean, it's we like, do. <laughs> I read the, it, you yeah. know, like, I, yeah. all the letter, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be hard for people to order that. We do. We <laughs> Why don't you tell us some of the names of the breweries you bring in? Uh, Gaver Hopka is a brewery, you know, and they've got some crazy Spell names. <laughs> Gaver Hopka, yeah, I don't want to. I don't no, want exactly. to, yeah. <laughs> Um, does it start with a T? Uh, it does start with a it's T, like a actually. Gaberock starts with a T. Yeah, what, I'm actually what's mispronouncing the one you brought in today? Uh, that's uh, a new one, uh, barrel-aged beer from a brewery called Hoftendormal, which is a, a, a farm. Uh, one of the only uh, breweries in the 
world, actually, that's that's uh, producing all all of the the raw ingredients um, on, on their farm for for, wow. for the beers that they produce. But yeah, um, yeah. No, we got some crazy. That's names. That's a good no, point, Jenny. Really, yeah. he really does have the hardest to pronounce beers. Yeah, I read I, I read the emails and I see the list, and yeah, I'm yeah, like, ooh, that's another one. You, know, you got to bumble right, around. You got to be able to spell it. If you yeah, want. you should yeah. write little pronunciations <laughs> for the for the in the uh, emails right. when you're no, selling it, so we have some sort of idea how to tell people how to spell it. So you're saying that do other importers like Americanize the the labels um, the names of the, be- the breweries yeah you know I mean some breweries it depends on the brewery really I mean some people are super sensitive to that you know some people have their like this is this is what we do if you don't and, 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 and like again it, when you're talking about breweries that don't necessarily care you know, if you're buying their beer or not, because it's not like they've got you know their monthly quotas to meet and you know, whatever, then it's a harder sell to get those kinds of people to you know change their entire brand. You know, for your you know so, um, a lot of the guys at least that we started out with and are still doing you know we we, yeah. we kind of try to keep this true to their original. I like honestly. it when they don't change their brand. I'm not sure. asking them to change their brand. It's just it would be nice for you guys to be able as to a say liaison it. Yeah, right, to exactly. teach us how yeah, to yeah, say yeah, it, yeah, so yeah. we're not just. Yeah. Fumbling, right? Ch- yeah, exactly. Chopping yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Yeah. Well, you do, you do bring in some really great beers, and it's really amazing the way you've grown. All right, so let's just GABF beer. Jen, what else can we say about the Danny Williams beer from GABF? It's a porter. It's a porter. I think it's a pretty classic porter. What do you think, guys? I mean, Mark, what do you I think? Just, yeah, certainly in the uh, American style of porters. Yeah, and, definitely. And almost uh, the Colorado style, where they're, you're going to get those. It's distinctly different than stouts, where they, a lot of times they overlap in all parts of the world. Not much overlap here, no. Yeah. It's, no, it's, no it's, I, it's, yeah. I don't think you would say stout. Anybody would say stout. No. Well, maybe we should raise our glass to Danny Williams. Sure. And uh, did he have another job besides being the GABF seller? Was he you know what? Like I said, he, an enthusiast? I, or? I did not know the man. I wish I'd known the man from all the stories I've heard. Um, but you can't, you know, it's hard to meet everyone fast enough. So, but anyway, to Danny, to Danny. and to all his friends who've been celebrating him all year. So. All right. And we've got some other beers too. We've got some Blue Point. Um, what's a, what's a Blue Point we should drink? Uh, we've got Kurt Potter. Let's introduce your, your, your marketing guy, Kurt Potter. Um, there's a guy named Kurt Potter and there's also a guy named, who's the other one? Uh, Pete Cotter. <laughs> I got confused. There's Kurt Cop- Kurt Potter and, and Pete Cotter coming. Yeah, not not to confuse the the switcheroo there. But so you're the the marketing PR guy. I am the Point branding Brewery. communications branding. guy. Yeah, so marketing falls into that. Uh, ads, PR, stuff like that. So uh, you know the messaging, kind of the voice. Great. So Speak. what's what's the first beer that you have for us today? Uh, we brought Toxic Sludge, the Black IPA. And uh, we also have the white IPA, so kind of a contrast there. These are two of my favorites that I've had from you guys. Yeah, the Toxic Sludge has done done really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's coming out in 16-ounce cans, end of the month or first part of next month, I guess, right? So we're pretty psyched about that. And that started out as a, I mean, it went toward a cause, right? Isn't it? Yeah, that initially was brewed uh, for for the the birds after the Gulf spill uh, down in the, you know, and uh, we've since, you know, that, that campaign, I, I guess you could say, is over. You know, we're, that's run its course, and we had to kind of rebrand it sure. a little bit. It's got um, a nice little But we had to keep the name it. because, you know, because yeah. it, it definitely had enough recognition. So we rebranded a little bit, kept the theme and, and the name, of course, and everything, and thought the cans would be a good spin for it. So uh, same beer, same good stuff. Yeah, right. the cans are sort of the oil can uh, toxic sludge look to them. And with that well, beer, let's pop so, it. Come on, let's yeah, taste yeah, it. Yeah, pay pay homage to where it yeah. started from, 
And it's sort of the, the opposites, the black IPA and the white IPA showing mm-hmm. different things. And uh, it's, uh, it's a beer that's really loved around the brewery and uh, been popular for us. And uh, we're looking forward to the, to the release. And, uh, you know, can't say enough good stuff about beer in cans, really. I mean, get out there and yeah. you got to realize that, you know, you can put twice as many cans on a truck. You can do a lot of things that are very green with cans that you can't with bottles. And it's hard to say. I mean, I love, you know, the bottles are near and dear to my heart. But the I beer think in the can is so well protected, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We've I, talked about it a lot. I, I really think that uh, the 12-ounce, the, the 6-pack 12 12 pack bottles probably doomed in the future. And uh, maybe this is the first time on this show that somebody has called that a doomed product. But... Uh, other than other than certain specialties, that's certain probably styles, uh, certain styles you can. Awesome! Hey, this this is a great introduction. We're going to do a lot more with cans and and and, and beer and everything. We're we'll back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. So we get a short break. And come Listening to Real Long Way to Go by Brothers NYC on Heritage Radio Network. Org. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're out here at Roberta's in Bushwick, one of my favorite restaurants in New York City, and we're here on the Heritage Radio Network. We've got a great group of guests tonight. We're uh, talking about, was it Toxic Sludge uh, Black, Black IPA from uh, Blue Point with Mark and Kurt and Jen and Brian. So tell us, this is an awesome Black IPA, Mark. How did you go from, you know, at one point you were like the founder, the guy who had been on the mountaintop in Hawaii, and... Uh, and now you've got really great beers, and you've got a whole team of people. So how, how did that evolve for you as, as a company and as a brewery? Well, that's certainly an uh, involved question. I appreciate that. The, uh, the Black IPA, I mean, I think I'd like to start with a shout-out to the brewers at the brewery because we're working uh, around the clock. So we work uh, 12-5, you know, Sunday night to Friday night. And so if you show up at Wednesday at 4 in the morning, there's somebody cranking along making beer there, Chris Amchair. And we, we always appreciate him because we're really just coming home from the bars while he's still working, and we appreciate that. And Jim and Eric and the guys that are working day, you know, the three shifts during the day are cranking the good stuff out. I mean, Black IPA, I, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that just can't get enough of the, the IPA world where it separates into different things. And certain ones of them have really, I think, really taken off and really have a real place. And I think the black IPAs and the white IPAs are different enough from the general IPA world that uh, I think they have a nice place forever. And the guys that are working, you know, as we grew, and uh, it was just Pete and I in the beginning make, doing everything, making beer, paying taxes, trying to sell stuff. And as we gained people and gained uh, staff, you know, now we have uh, guys with uh, degrees in brewing on staff. We have, you know, a, a full lab with Alan there doing every possible thing with uh, bacteria and yeast. And it's great to see the technology side of it grow. And it's one of the uh, upsides of having a little bit more volume come out of your brewery is you can afford a lot of peripheral costs that you can't when you first start. When you first start, there's a lot of tasting the beer and making sure it's good and that's about it and off you go. 
and we've evolved to having full staffs of guys making beer around the clock and having a lot of different input, and I think that's one of the greatest things is you can talk to everybody. Everybody's got a different point of view. Everybody has something to say, and we try to take it all in stride. You know, when I'm in the city, when I'm lucky enough to be at good beer seal bars like Blind Tiger, Jimmy's Number 43, Spite and Dival, I don't have to think too much about the beers that I order, but usually when I go to a regular bar or I go to a store to buy beer, I'm always happy to see you know certain go-to beers. And whenever I see a Blue Point, and specifically like a Blue Point Rastafari Rye, I'm really happy. Um, you know, that's 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 one part of the brewery. But these specialty beers like the Toxic Sludge Black IPA and then the White IPA, um, how, how do you guys go about developing that style? I mean, you do test batches. Do you, that do you, is a newer style, too. Yeah, but do you decide to, you know, what's, what's your process at the brewery of uh, uh, coming up with new styles? The main process is for me to... Uh, to come up with the uh, whatever the recipe is going to be and the idea and sort of bring it out to everybody and you see how much violence I get against it or not. And then typically if, we're, if it's something that it seems like uh, wasn't just one of my harebrained schemes in the middle of the night, then uh, we're going to go forward with it. And it's sort of things that, you know, if I'm reading something in the press or I taste a beer, I mean, most of the inspiration comes from trying different beers. Uh, that's one of the things people ask you when you're in this industry all the time. Do you only drink your own beer? And it's one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, in the craft beer world. I try every possible beer I can get my hand on. I even drink all those goofy drinks in the 7-Eleven uh, cases just to see what flavorings they're after these days. Obviously, most of them a little too sweet, but... Every beer, you know, it just, just it just can't be. Every beer you try as a brewer, you learn something about what the brewers were trying to do, or there's something in there that you can really, you know, put in your brain that becomes the whole matrix of where your your recipes and, and eventual new beers come from. Could you could you tell everybody what a white IPA is because it really is a new one. I mean, everyone kind of understands what black IPA is now with the hot profile but dark roasted malt. But white IPA, I mean, the one that we have in front of us, it might have been the first one that I tried because it is new on the scene. So I think people should know what, what that means, white IPA. Sure. that We, we certainly knew on the, uh, on the East Coast with this. Uh, they had been, I had read some things in the press. I'd heard the word, and I said, you know, that's a great concept. So I think, what, I think one of the things about the white IPAs is they're very different from the, different, the ones I've had. And so it's basically a, a, a wheat-based beer typically with a European yeast used, and then hopped in the American IPA tradition. Now, those that leaves a lot for discretion at the brewery end. Certainly, the yeast strains vary. They can be uh, straight from beers that are already white beers to uh, uh, any kind of wheat beer yeast that's typical. This is a northern uh, German Essen out of Essen. This is the wheat, uh, wheat yeast that we use. So that's a little different than just using a typical with beer yeast and doubling the alcohol profile and hopping it up like Americans like to do. So there's a lot of uh, a leeway for this kind of beer. Also, I think it really lends itself as a food beer. It's the uh, real depth and complexity without being too heavy. And I think that's something that I uh, always want to try to bring beer to the dinner table. And I think this is the kind, one of those kind of styles that really lends it to it and really has a good classic American flair to it. Good ingenuity on American brewers' parts. Kurt, why don't you crack some of the uh, your, your cans of white IPA and we have a growler of the Toxic Sludge. The Toxic Sludge, actually, it doesn't represent the beer. It, it, I think that it's going to be really heavy and dark. This is a real nice black IPA. I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. How would you describe the, the flavors on this, Jen? Well, it's a little it's roasty. Oh, well, yeah. I've, the dark roasted malt in black IPA tends to 
give it that roastiness, which makes it different. You know, you know that if your eyes were closed and you didn't see the color, you would be pretty certain it wasn't a regular IPA. It sets it apart. It's um, uh, and then I really love the white IPA concept too. I mean, I like these um, extensions of like you know, well. These different ways that American brewers are still able to give it that little, like, American hop thing. I love hops. So any way that hops can be infused, I like when these styles are developing. And I was mystified by the Black IPA. I felt like it was a real challenge for a lot of brewers at first to be able to come up with a hop profile that could overcome the roastiness of the malt and balance it well enough. This was one of the best ones I had. I mean, when did you brew this beer? The first time. When That's a was, good question. Do we have a? It's been yeah, three years ago or so. It's been yeah. a while. The, I mean, it was black- pretty. I mean, this is a relatively new style too. I mean, I know that there's the whole Cascadian Dark versus Black IPA. There were brewers who were doing this, but as far as it really coming onto the scene and becoming a legitimate category in like major judging like GABF mm-hmm. and the World Beer Cup that's all really recent and so now it seems like a lot of breweries are playing around with this style but there were only a handful that we would get our hands on in the beginning and it was like wow that is such an interesting interpretation you know uh, and and uh, so yeah I'm, I'm eager to see it seems like the white IPA I think your white IPA like I said was one of the first maybe I think it might have been the first I had and I was like wow this is going to be interesting, and sure enough, one after another, other breweries take influence, just like you're talking about, right. Mark. Drinking everybody's beer, everyone's wheels start turning. They're like, "How? How could we do one? Mm-hmm. How could we put our signature, you know, style into this?" You know. Yeah. Well, Mark, on a different note about GABF, so you didn't go to GABF, but do you still submit beers to it for judging? Like, how how does that work? Oh yeah, sure. We uh, we, we send the crew out there every year. At, at our company, we alternate years between the sales side and the production side so this year was a sales side uh, trip so i stayed home i go every other year with the brewers and those guys and it's sort of a, a thank you for their hard work around the brewery we go out and blow off some steam we uh you know stand at our booth and we pour beer and you talk to people and you know we don't sell beer in colorado so you get a whole different perspective from people who have never had the beers that are trying them with other people and to jen's point you get some real good feedback as opposed to the knucklehead feedback that you might get at some some beer festivals so you actually get some good knowledge and the other side of going there is also to try the beers that you've read about that you can't get on in your geographical area that easily and if there's a raw ingredient i mean the hops i think are probably the strongest piece of what i'm saying here there's a particular hop you know i go to my i spend my time in the pacific north west region of the gabf to make sure that i get whatever the new hops are because that's sort of where they all break normally and they're in that part of the world they'll print what hops they're using at their table which is a great thing you know it's not it's part of the openness of the craft beer movement Mm -hmm. so i can go and say okay listen i like this combination i see this hop i like when i taste the beer and i like this one then i see one with made with two wow i like these two combinations let me add this other one to them so there's a you know it's a direct learning experience. Plus, so I try to go to those different uh, regions where I can't and, quite get all the beers here. And, and when here. the brewers are present, he can have a conversation with them too. And it's really not a KG industry when it comes to this. He, like he's saying, they print it and they'll talk about it too. And uh, so that that influence can carry over geography. Right. That statement that there's no secrets in brewing is very, very true in craft beer. I mean, there's certainly people that. Are, are more cagey than others, but it, it, the proof's in the glass. And so, it's, but getting a few tips from people, you know, it's, it's real good. 
Right. And Brian, as an importer, yeah. I mean, do, do importers attend GABF as well? Yeah, they do, certainly. I mean, like I say, I, I, you know, I, I don't specifically because there's this, a festival in, in Holland that I go every year that happens to go inside. But, yeah, I mean, you know, nowadays, I mean, you see how much imported beer is in the United States, and now you're starting to see American beer bars pop up in Holland and, you know, all, you know, all over the world, which is awesome. And so it's become... You know, uh, 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 I mean, such a such a such a global thing, honestly. That that you know, all these guys know each other. You know, especially now with the social media angle that's layered onto all of this, everybody's com- communicating on a on a very regular basis, and you're seeing collaborative efforts between tiny little breweries in Belgium and big breweries in the United States, and um, or you know, bigger big by uh, Belgian standards at least. Um, uh, but, but you're, yeah, you're, so. you're kind of taking a different tack too, aren't you? I mean, like you guys did last year uh, with Shelton Brothers and Twelve Percent. Yeah, did the festival up in Worcester, Mass. You did your own festival. We did our own festival. I mean, that was kind of you know something that I'd been thinking about doing for a long time, and I guess independently, Dan uh, Shelton from the Shelton Brothers was thinking about for a while too. And so we were, you know, of course, as so many great ideas happen, we were out drunk one night in Philadelphia, I think, and just. Uh, started sharing ideas with each other and said, hey, we should partner up and do some stuff together and show everyone that we're not competitors. We're, you know, actually kind of doing the same thing and in it together. And, you know, we're actually, you know, very friendly. Our companies are very friendly. And there's a lot of overlap with what we do. So we decided, yeah, we're going we're gonna to put this kind of dream idea that each of us had had uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna see it through fruition. So we we did the we called it the festival, which is um, it was as, fantastic. <laughs> thanks, thanks. You guys are like really like boutique importers. Yeah, know? I mean we we well the, 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 right. What we do is we work with small breweries. That's it. I mean we and, and very small breweries at that. And you know, I think that there are a handful of, of of importers distributors out there that really focus on you know that. Uh, that have that as their as their primary focus, and and Shelton and I are are are, are together in that. Uh, and oh, so I love that. That's the whole beer yeah, world. You know, cool, you got yeah. GABF. Yeah. And uh, one thing I love about doing the show is is that we get to talk to you guys a little bit in depth. And you know, have this black IPA that you guys brought from Blue Point, I'm blown away. And uh, you know, you guys are are really doing something great. And and Brian too. So. Um, Wow. Let's give it a little cheers to everybody. Cool. Cheers. We'll take one more break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to Your Lovely Heart by Brothers on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. She's out there and cried. You keep talking about that. All right. Hey, it's all right. We're talking about beer. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're brought to you by GreatBrewers.com, a comprehensive website aimed at bringing the beer community together. GreatBrewers.com also distributes Blue Point here in New York. And our friends at the Good Beer Seal. Hey, we're the Good Beer Seal. GoodBeerSeal.com. I really like the show tonight. Um, it's a very interesting cross-section of, of the craft beer industry. You know, Jen Swartman, who's a, the ultimate beer expert and, and bartender well, I don't know. from Traveler. places. Yeah, you worked Traveler. at Wine Club Brewery and Sandy. You've been so many places. And we've, we've got Kurt and Mark from Blue Point. And we've got a, a relatively new importer, uh, Brian Ewing from 12%. You know, there's so much going on in the world of craft beer. Um, we have to just raise our glasses again. But this white IPA from, from Blue Point. 
is really good. I mean, I've had it in, in let's, we're, we're going to go to a conversation about cans right right after this, but I've had it on draft, but in cans, the flavor really comes out. Like, Absolutely. I know what you said about the, well, it's the, the, the wheat kind of wheat yeast. It has a beautiful aroma and it's preserved when it's in a can and that's one of the greatest things about canning. Let's talk about cans. So I know that in GBF um, in Colorado there's a mobile canning unit Uh and uh, someone gave us a, a can of Renegade Righteous Rye I went to that Colorado. pub for the Did first you? time. Yeah, they are brand new. I mean, there so, are so many. De- I could talk for a while about what's happening in Denver, um, which was my old stomping ground, and it's changed so dramatically. And when I asked brewers there in these little breweries um, how many breweries were in Denver now, they were like, what day of the week? What day? What's the date on the calendar, Tim? We can't keep track. And then I finally got numbers that in Denver proper, that right now there are about 25 breweries. And I swear, not that many years ago, there were like five. Right. Yeah. And now they're twenty five. Yeah. And then yeah. and then now in Metro Denver, which is like the greater area, uh, it was estimated about twenty more. So they're about wow. forty. It's like metrosexual. Wow. So I was overwhelmed. I'm driving. Friends are driving me around. I'm like, there's another one. There's another one. Turning my head. And so fortunately, I um I have a friend Tim Myers who was one of the old old school of the new guard. He opened his brewery, Strange Brewing, in 2010, so only a couple years ago. But now he has been coaching a lot of these other guys. He's friends with a lot of them. And after we brewed a little batch of beer on his one-barrel system, because um, he's got a, a big system, and then he's got a little – he does one-barrel Wednesdays, and he does, like, little one-off stuff. Right. Um, he took me around. When we finished that batch, he took me around and introduced me to some of these guys, and he took me to Renegade, and it's – it's a great spot and they're doing interesting flavored beer using real ingredients and you know like not fake flavors mm. and they're doing and now they've got this mobile canning and they're really apparently booming so and what I is this mobile canning this is like a can somebody pulls up with a truck from what i understand is that what it, i think right. i imagine so i mean that's that's one of those things about so it's, uh, it's actually canning. mobilecanning.com. Yeah. That's like mm-hmm. a Colorado thing, I think. Well, I, yeah, that might be, but I think it started in the Pacific Northwest and, and California where there have been a couple of these operations that do this, and now there's one in Colorado, and that's a new thing, too. Well, one of the big, I mean, limiting factors with canning from a craft beer perspective, right, is that, you, I mean, you know, traditionally at least, you've had to print huge runs of a can to be able to to, to sell it. So I, I don't know anything about about this specifically, but it sounds like it, it sounds like a good solution for smaller breweries so that don't, you don't because can, you don't have to invest they, in the can system, up, or you uh, take or, square footage or, or to put a, in a system, or in a truckload of cans with one label when you only have a five barrel system and you could never right. fill it. Right. Right. So they're using the label is put on like a labeling machine. Right. And the can is a generic white can that you can see that the label right. goes over. That's a nice solution for that. Yeah, because and yeah, that's, that's craft brewers. They're going to well, come up with the ingenuity. They're going to solve the problem. Mark, you have the the white IPA from Blue Point in cans. It's, and again, I want some more of this because it's really good. <laughs> oh, sure. And, and, and the flavors really come through in the can. But do you have a canning facility at your brewery? No, we use this. Uh, this is a contract can item for us. So we do. We do draft the brewery for this, and uh, we contract the can on this one. We really appreciate the uh, the quality of our contract supplier on the canning line, and that's a big deal when you're trying to figure out how to make have this made. Sure. And so, how does it differ from having what would be better, a mobile canning unit or the, or the, the craft the the whatever it's called contract canning? Well, I, I think we're, we're getting into a sort of a discussion that would be endless that on on what is better. But it's also volume. Yeah. Exactly. How many cans do you want to? You know, if you've got a if you go to a contract situation with who has a huge 
canning line and you're doing volumes of beer, that makes more sense. But if you're a nano, like Brian's exactly. saying, with exactly. this tiny little system, you, you don't just, have an option. You, you can't. Right. You don't have yeah. an option. And that, and yeah. the, the, you want to have the quality of the beer has to be good in the package today. There are too many great breweries in this country for you to come out and have a learning curve about your packaging line. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot to know. And so nowadays you have to have that technology from the the physical packaging perspective as well as the brewing perspective. And so whatever works best for you or each, each person is what's good. I mean, the mobile thing is probably a very good unit that comes to smaller places that could never afford to have a full-scale canning situation in exactly. their house. Yeah. And that's that's a great thing. And I think that's a great piece of American American business, uh, you know, jobs that are here. These is manufacturing. This is people overcoming it's tremendous it's obstacles exactly. to work together. Exactly. Uh, this so what is, if you know, there's what a if lot I of good stuff make, about it. Make my 16 ounce bud cans will they come and give me a 16 ounce bud label yeah that's uh <laughs> you buy those at uh <laughs> yeah no there's uh the, 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 yeah i guess the um could be some trademark issues there yeah, right. there's gonna be yeah. lawyers you fill them with a nice yeah. black ipa right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i never talk about Probably. bud, but when it comes to cans you know I, I know there's a lot of good people using cans and i appreciate it so that's well, in the old days, I mean, there, there is a difference now. I think this is uh, something we sort of skipped over here is that when uh, we grew up there, Jimmy, the uh, the beer in your can tasted like the can. The beer, the physical liquid was in contact with the physical metal of right. the can. Right. And now today there's this technology that allows a coating to keep your liquid of the beer separate from the metal of the can. Yeah. So the beer no longer tastes like the can. And that's a Thank big goodness. message. Right. And that's <laughs> For the health, selling. too. That's, that's we shouldn't be no- drinking aluminum. <laughs> right. There's the green things about how much less you're printing and wasting when you sell cans. There's also the quality of the beer. And there's the, the real change in the technology of cans is allowed to real flavor of the beer to be stay in there. Because we drank a lot of can tasting beer, Jimmy, when we were younger. <laughs> so at, at Blue Point, do you guys make, do you only uh, keg there, or do you have a bottling line, too? Uh, no, we have a bottling line. So we do the 22-ounce uh, bomber bottles out of there, and uh, do the half-gallon the growlers. Yep, yep. So of your, of your, your labels, the Rastafari rye is one of my favorite go-to beers, and I've had in a lot of situations, like, wow. If I see Blue it Point won a Rastafari. medal a couple years ago at the GABF. Yep, sure, yeah, yeah, no, sure it's, it's it's but um, it's like everything I want, and 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 not to put you guys down, but I feel like in, in New York City there's so many there's so many labels, there's imports, there's craft beers that I, I find I don't get to try your your beer as much as I as I would, and um, you guys have so many good beers, and I don't know, I'm trying to give you some. Conversation points. Well, I, re- <laughs> I, I really appreciate that, and I would uh, please seek it out. It's it's out there, and uh, you know this will be the, uh, my number one point with our distributor meeting next week. <laughs> <laughs> no, only kidding. But the uh, you know that, that New York City is a big market, and there's certainly tremendous choices, and we're we're really happy to be part of it. And I learn as much from New York City as, as you know the beers in New York City as I can try as possibly can do. And we're happy to get it every place. I mean, one of the things I really like is uh, pubs and that are, are are going into areas. Then maybe this one could be considerate that are, you know, a little bit less uh, economically developed. And there's a bunch of them around the periphery in New York where the craft beer bars are going into areas that uh, would once not have a place like that. And I, I give them all the credit in the yeah. world, you know, for for going into to spaces and bring craft beer and being saying, the pioneers right, in neighborhoods. Bring, exactly. I mean, being the pioneer as a neighborhood. I mean, how do you say enough good things about that? And it brings the people that are in here, when you look out through the glass 
here and, and look at the folks that are sitting around. This is the perfect kind of people you want in your place. And and maybe a couple of years ago, people wouldn't have thought of this neighborhood to, to put this kind of place in. And there's plenty of the other ones in New York City that can be mentioned. But Bushwick, Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. Rockaway, Bronx. Bronx. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great thing for craft. That's another angle of the craft beer. That's why when when it's all when it's asked like, oh, how do you feel about all these beer bars that have opened up? And I'm like, have you realized how si- how big this city is? Yeah, you know right. how many neighborhoods are there? Every neighborhood can have at least one beer bar. Exactly. And then when those people leave their neighborhood, which they inevitably do, if they're totally hooked on craft beer and they find themselves in other parts of the city, they're going to seek out the beer bar. You know, you get them get them hooked. Right, and, and it's, it's a competitive thing on one level, but it's not on another, and that we're really all in it together in the craft beer world. We're still all small in the big picture of uh, industrial brewing. We are really small craft guys, and it's important for everybody to still realize that as much popularity as craft beer has, we're small guys with a lot of struggles, and there's a lot to go. I mean, the, the, a, a little bit of... People changing over from industrial beer to craft beer will keep us all going for a long time and keep the creativity going. So it's not it, we, we don't really battle each other that much. We don't usually talk about macro beers that much because I don't drink them. But every once in a while, I'm in a position where I'm at I'm at some other bar I'm outside of the city, and I'm and I'm stuck with a macro beer. And I'm like, I can't drink this stuff. You know, that's I, when you drink whiskey or tequila. Well, yeah, we, we switch over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that you're right. I think the people. Are, let's, let's, but but Brian, before we're done, Brian, you know, small importer, twelve percent imports. Okay, you got. We know you got started a little bit. You yeah. got on the show before. Yeah. How did you go from New York City to all the other cities that you're in? Tell us the cities that you're in, and what was your strategy for expansion? Well, I mean, we're we're in 35 states now. Um, wow. You know, across the country, so we're you know we've, we've you're ex- like two people. Uh, yeah, four now actually. We've doubled in size. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we're uh, yeah, we're still a very uh, very small uh, company, but um, but we've we've been we've been growing steadily for the last couple of years. Uh, anyway, you know, the reality of it is with our line of products, I mean, there there have been two limiting factors, but but fun ones to kind of solution around how we're going to get them out there. So two limiting factors are these. Number one, the capacity, because the brewers that we're dealing with, again, by and large to this point, have been very, very small. So how much can we actually bring in to, you know, to, 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 to put on the market and, and that kind of thing? That's been, that's been a challenge. The other challenge is that, again, very tiny breweries in very remote locations, the logistics of getting beer from point A to point B in the right conditions, you know, like we everything that we do is like refrigerated this, refrigerated that because it's expensive to begin with. You got to treat it right and all that kind of stuff. So, at, when it when it hits when it hits the consumer's glass, it's pushing the boundaries for what you can spend on beer. You know what I mean? So, so the limiting factors for us have been you know, the the, the capacity and the cost, right? Because it's it, 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 it's small and expensive. Um, that said, the you know we're fortunate that I think we came along at the right time and there is a market for this really specialty um, niche high-end kind of stuff and you know so obviously we're not selling it you know in uh, you know I don't know out in Kansas and Oklahoma and that kind of thing but in every metro major metropolitan you know market in the so you've in targeted the like the, the top beer bars yeah, yeah beer exactly you know New York City San Francisco Chicago 
you know that kind of stuff. You know, we're we're there, and um, and it's been going well. And it and it you know as as we've grown, we've been able our brewers have been able to grow with us and that kind of thing. So we continue to get more. And we and you know, look, when I started it, like I said, I didn't have any prior taste what you brought experience in this. What I love about well, you, I also want to ask him yeah. about the Stillwater yeah. liaison because that's really kind of yeah. elemental to twelve percent. Also, it's a it it's is. a tangent slightly from you know the imp- I probably your first. But first thought of the model that you were creating, but it, it, it's it, been amazing. Definitely, and, and it's definitely been, you know, it, it was one of the turning, you know, me, me, Brian and I meeting and figuring. Brian Strumke is the Strumke other Brian. Brian and Brian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, us meeting and figuring out this project together. You know, he was a home brewer. I was an importer distributor. Us figuring out this project together was absolutely one of the turning points for, I mean, both of us for, for in our lives, quite honestly. Um um, he's a he's yes. A, <laughs> he's uh you know I mean he he you was, know Mark started on a mountaintop in Hawaii is that right mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you can yeah, listen you can listen to him it was a few months ago on Beer Sessions Radio <laughs> everyone's got to have their start right everyone has a start yeah so so Brian was a home brewer uh, so this is we're talking about the, this story of Stillwater Ale Stillwater Artisanal Ales here um, I'm pouring for you guys by the way another Gypsy Brewer the the other guy that. Has changed everything for us is uh, Evil Twin Brewing. So tell us his name and who's his brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, if I tell you his brother, uh, yeah, his no. name is Yepa. Yepa is the Evil Twin. Uh, this is Bikini Beer. It's a. It's uh, one of the highest rated low ABV beers it's in the world. It's super low ABV. It's tell him. Two point seven percent IPA. Yeah. Bikini Beer. All right. Um, so yeah. Um, Pretty crazy that he's able to get some. We, we, we have other shows to talk about. I mean, you got, you got, you've developed some special relationships. You got Stillwater, Evil Twin, right? All the right. The, Im, the imports that you're bringing in, and, and and we love you, beer. And one thing that's great about it is the way that for me as like a bar owner, you round out my portfolio. I, I can I've got a core of American craft beer, but then it's like you know what? I want some really interesting imports as well. Yeah. So I feel like you've got a great niche, and and we love your beers. Thanks, man. And um, let's all raise a toast together. And again, once again, Mark and Blue Point. Um, you're still doing it right, man. Uh, this Black IPA Toxic Sludge is my favorite beer of the week. All right, beer of the say. week. There you uh, go, man. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get myself a shirt <laughs> made. So so we, Jimmy's you know, favorite right. beer of the week. Right. You're still doing it. And it's Tuesday. I'm good. You know. And none of your salesmen have ever, I've never been, no one has ever tried to sell me this beer, just so you know. Yeah, well, okay. Well, uh, wow, that one's going to be up on a website. Sales right? meeting fodder. It's, it's another. It's another story. It's about how many beers are actually are on the market. Didn't you say no, you were having a meeting yeah. with your distributor next week? That's another <laughs> one to bring up. <laughs> but we're fighting. Everybody's fighting for lines. Everybody's fighting for bottles. And um, you know, I'm lucky to get a, a few things in from twelve percent. I'm lucky to get. I always like I'm lucky to get the beers that I get. That's why there's so many good beers out there right People now. Like you, and man. we're trying to get everybody to buy more craft beer. Don't buy macros. Really don't. I mean, I have to say, I've never seen it here before. Don't buy macros, guys. That's what's bad for you. <laughs> it's like yeah. you want good craft beer that's made with good ingredients. You know, it, it makes you feel good. And um, that's what I'm all for. All right. <laughs> and, Jen, thanks for coming on, everybody. Thank um, you. Thank you, guys. Next thank week, you. we've got a really special show. We're going to tune in. We've got Bobo thank Van Mechelen, who's like the Chimay USA rep. And he's the ultimate uh, guy. And we've previewed uh, the World Atlas of Beer with Tim Webb and Steve Beaumont. A very cool pre-recording at uh, Jimmy's number 43. That's next week. And today's podcast is brought to you by GreatBrewers.com. Thank you so much. We're going to take another uh, short break in a minute. But thanks again. Uh, Good Brazil events. Uh, our friends at Brooklyn Homebrew and Sycamore 
hosting Brooklyn Wart. That's on Saturday, the 27th in Brooklyn. Halloween's coming at the Brazen Head. The Brazen Head is a great place in Brooklyn for beer. Also on Saturday, October 27th. What happens a lot in New York City is everybody does, this, does good events on the same day. Rats. And on uh, <laughs> jumping Damn. ahead, hey, Sunday, October, uh, November 25th. Uh, Adobe Blues uh, in Staten Island, another good Brazil bar, is doing the second annual Brewery Appreciation Day. There's really a lot of really good beers and, and bars in New York City now, more than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're up to 41 of the good Brazil bars, which is amazing. But it's because of guys like Blue Point, you know, who started yeah. it. You started in what 98 or yeah, something sure like that. Did, yeah. I mean, that's a yeah, long well, time I mean, ago. I mean, East four Coast or five brewing? years ago, that you know, we had a handful of, of, of bars, and there's there so many good ones and so many good breweries. It, it was a tragic draft scene back there, and there's no other word. No, word I, for I moved it here in 99, and I saw it. It was <laughs> tragic. We, we were we, we used to call it the 50 percent and that meant uh, when we'd go to a bar and, and taste our own beer we'd it'd be about 50 percent of the times it would taste good and the other half it was mm. really really horrendous well you know heads up everybody we're still fighting because there's still many bars i yeah. go to and and the, and the lines aren't clean and the selection is is mediocre I agree. so you know what guys you got to up your game but you know some of the beers from blue point 12 percent that's a way to up your game if, if you're trying to have a good beer bar so I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com again i think i almost did the close up before thanks to jen brian mark and kurt for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network, which I love, and I love being at Roberta's in Bushwick and Brooklyn. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Ansley, Brio Connor, and engineer Joe Galarraga. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week on Beer Sessions Radio. What a choice. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.